When Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico on September 20th, it destroyed some healthcare facilities and left others without electricity and with limited water. As the island begins to rebuild and services are restored, the storm's long-term effects on health and healthcare infrastructure remain to be seen. I'm Stephen Morrissey, managing editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Carmen Zaria, a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Puerto Rico School of Medicine. Dr. Zaria has written a perspective article about caring for patients during and after Hurricane Maria. Dr. Zaria, you write in your article that only three major hospitals in Puerto Rico were functioning several days after the hurricane. What's the current state of healthcare infrastructure, and are most hospitals back up and running? Not yet, actually. Let me just check the numbers here. We have like 70, maybe 75 hospitals around the island, and immediately after the hurricane, there were only two that were working with power from the power company and also assisted by power generators. As of today, today's like day 34 after the hurricane, we have 65 hospitals working, but of those, only 49 have electricity from the power company. And that electricity is unstable, so most hospitals are having power outages and blackouts and interruptions almost every day. So it's the greatest situation here and the worst situation for health economy, everything, is the lack of availability and strength of the power grid. They're having such difficult problems with establishing the power generation and access to power. What did Puerto Rico's healthcare system look like before the hurricane? Why was it vulnerable? What was the situation? Yeah, well, first of all, the level of poverty in Puerto Rico is probably twice that of the poorest state in the mainland. So maybe half of the people qualify for healthcare assistance. So in contrast to the U.S., we do not have Medicaid, but we do have grant block funds that go to the health department, and they have what we call the healthcare reform. So they have subcontracted some healthcare companies to provide services to individuals. So we have sort of like a hybrid between, like it used to be a public health service with hospitals owned by the government and employees paid by the government, and that switched to a semi-private based on contracts, but still the situation is still not the optimal. So in addition to that, the situation of Puerto Rico, because of the economic and the debt, we had a fiscal committee enacted by Congress to oversee everything, every expense and the budget of the government. So months before the hurricane, there were debates whether the budget of the government should be cut by half, the budget of the university should be cut by $500 million a year, and so on and so forth. There was a lot of instability and concerns from people in terms of not just their jobs, but the services they would receive. Going back to the healthcare services, we do have the same guidelines and we follow the same rules as in the U.S. So any hospital, any medical school, any healthcare facilities has to abide by U.S. rules and standards. So with less resources, we're trying to provide healthcare services that are according to U.S. standards and and the quality of care has to follow that. We do have the Joint Commission accreditation on hospitals and all of that. So in terms of infrastructure, we should have had a good infrastructure for providing care. 
in terms of actual providers, there was um, sort of like a brain drain and many younger healthcare professionals were relocating to the mainland U.S. So the healthcare system was not stable, was not strong. There were a lot of deficiencies and inequalities. You're in the obstetrics unit at the University Hospital. What particular challenges did you see in obstetrics after the hurricane? Did providing obstetrical care during a disaster differ from other kinds of health care services? Absolutely. In obstetrics, as in nature, when a woman is in labor, no one can stop that, actually. No one can stop a labor that's in progress. So we had a hurricane. We prepared our hospital, which is a tertiary care hospital. We receive every complicated patient from the island in addition to anything that happens anywhere. All these patients come to our service. So I was on duty like three, four days after the hurricane. We didn't have running water. We didn't have clean sheets. I had only four sets of equipment for surgical procedures that were sterile, and we did not have an autoclave in the hospital because of the lack of water. So I was, and I had the labor room probably with twice the number of patients that we usually have, and I had patients that had prior cesarean sections that were waiting for their repeat cesarean section, and I had to hold those surgeries because they were in early labor, so you can actually wait for some hours because I only had four sets of surgical instruments. And I just wanted to make sure that I had instruments in case a person would come bleeding or I had a fetal hypoxic or any situation that was a real emergency, I needed to have that those equipment. The next day after my night duty, we were able to send the surgical equipment to the VA hospital and they were able to autoclave our instruments. So. We've been living day by day. We haven't done any elective surgeries since before the hurricane. So we have a wait list of patients with the diagnosis of cancer, GYN cancers, waiting for surgeries. So as we speak, our department decided to move some of these cancer surgeries to another community hospital so that we can actually provide some of the services patients need. In addition to those concerns, you talk in your article about the threat of infectious disease, dengue, Zika, in the wake of the hurricane. So what other kinds of health effects are possible in this situation, and how can they be minimized? That was an interesting conversation we had with entomologists, because we had the Zika epidemic the year before, and it was still waning, but it was still active this year. So nobody, nobody actually knows if, and this was one question, whether a hurricane could eliminate all the mosquito population or it would make them grow worse or faster. So that was one question that nobody knew. We're going to actually sort of like a natural experiment. What will happen with the mosquito population after this devastating hurricane? Right now what we're seeing or people complaining, there's no statistics, and, and I don't think anybody has uh, surveillance data yet, but now patients are complaining that there's lots of mosquitoes in their communities, and it might we might be in the early stages of an um, impending epidemic, maybe either dengue, chikungunya, or even Zika, because it's the same mosquito, the Aedes aegypti, that transmit all of them. We're just watching. We don't know, but I'm suspecting if we have an increasing mosquito population, we might have another epidemic. First, because people don't have, their houses are not complete. Many have no roofs. They estimate 150,000 houses were damaged, and there's no power, so there's no air conditioning, no fans. 
no way to control the environment inside of a house. There's also warm weather and constant rain. And in our minds, including myself, it's very difficult to think about prevention when you're trying to survive every day and you're trying to face what's the new issue today. So in that regard, in another perspective article, Schultz and Galea note that people who are affected by the recent hurricanes may report increased symptoms of mental disorders, including post-traumatic stress disorder. Do you see that in Puerto Rico, and how would the Puerto Rican healthcare system deal with that kind of additional need? Yeah, that's an area of concern. I know that the uh, population of Puerto Rico have higher risks of mental health illnesses in many aspects. We do have many higher number of people or higher proportion of people with conditions related to mental health. In prior hurricanes, I saw many patients with herpes zoster, which is related in a way to prior infection, but also it is stress-related. I'm now seeing patients that are coming, certainly patients with a prior history of some mental health illness, but they are sort of like stoned, like you talk to them and they are sort of frozen in time. And of course, this is anecdotal, but I'm concerned that we're going to see the impact of this hurricane in terms of mental health illness sometime in the future. We're also seeing increased violence because there's not that much security, there's no light posts, there's not environments and neighborhoods are dark, and there's not much to do and there's a lot of need, so violence has increased. Exposure to violence also affects mental health in adults and in children. So I think these are things that are of concern that we need to prepare and we need to document. Finally, in a third perspective article, Tuxen and colleagues discuss the goal after a disaster of building communities that are actually healthier than they were before the disaster. So if you think about that in terms of Puerto Rico, how should health and social service professionals in Puerto Rico be involved in the long-term rebuilding effort that needs to happen? I certainly enjoyed reading that article. It talks about we need to plan ahead and certainly... Even though we prepare for a hurricane, we never prepared for this. All health departments have had emergency planning teams working on planning for Ebola or planning for whatever the next epidemic. But it's different when you're trying to plan for something that you have some control rather than when you lose power and you lose all communication. And people cannot talk to each other. You don't know who's where. You don't know who needs help. It's very different to plan for that. In terms of healthcare, I believe that, yeah, this is an opportunity for us to not just get back to normal or not just get back to where we were, but actually get to a place that we have improved healthcare systems and also people have more meaningful lives and healthier. But that will take a rethinking of everything in our lives, including certainly the way government is structured, the way health is subdivided and funded, the way communities are working, including the types of systems that we might have for power. People are talking about, yeah, well, we need alternative sources of power like wind and solar power, but I can tell you that some of my friends have been driving around the island And there was a project on solar power in one of the small towns that was destroyed by the hurricane. There was another project on windmills for wind power that was also destroyed. 
So that doesn't mean that we might not rethink about and complete these structures and these systems, but we might need to think about how we protect solar power structures from hurricanes. We might have to have structures that might have like roofs on top that you can move or stuff like that. So we might have to rethink not just healthcare system, but also the power grid as well. Thank you, Dr. Zaria.